Hi, and welcome to Weebspeak, though that may or may not be the name for too terribly much longer. What do you think, Ryu? Right, I'm not a huge fan of the name, and there's other podcasts that have similar names, particularly the one that you've told me about with Mother's Basement, who is a popular anime-based YouTuber. And personally, um, I'm a huge fan of Mother's Basement. Yeah, he's got some good stuff. I've watched some of his videos. Um, so I'm I'm thinking we do need to look at getting a, or finding a, a better name, but I'm not good at coming up with names, so I'm going to ask people about it. Uh, maybe you can, too. Yeah, and to all of the, like, 12 people that actually listen to us, if you've got any <laughs> ideas, you know, throw up some comments on our SoundCloud uh, account. That's really the only way to get comments to us right now. We'll hopefully set something up, maybe a Facebook page or something, if we actually, I don't know, get big enough to justify it. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping and, and I'm hoping we can figure something out. I'm, we should ask our friends, too. Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask my friends around. I'm gonna ask the same thing, um, but uh, we'll see. Um, so, so just some clarification on how we're gonna do things. Um, we had a conversation after the podcast last week, um, and have have we as we've been kind of going into the new anime, Darling in the Frogs, we've decided that every season we're gonna choose one anime for us to kind of deep dive into in these podcasts. So a certain segment of every podcast will be about one anime in the season, um, probably the one that we'll consider best in best in the season, but though that may not turn out to be true because we don't even know if Darling and the Frogs is going to be best. Um, and it's also, of course, going to be based on what we can actually get access to. Like, we're in the U.S., right. and I'm sure people all over the world are just going ham all over Violet Evergarden. Well, guess what? Over Netflix Overlord has not uh graced us here in the u.s with a legal with legal access to violet evergarden so that's just one example so we're, we're only going to be talking about things that can be legally seen in our region as as much as we possibly can anyway right right um and i think we're always going to have this at the end um so if there's people who are just not interested in it um or haven't seen or are interested in it, but haven't seen the episode for the week um we're it's always going to be at the end, so you'll know when we start it. And there will be a, a spoiler alert that will lead into those segments, just so that if you're not paying attention while listening to the podcast, um, you know, we're going to scream it at you. Right. Um, another new thing we're going to do this week is we're going to talk about some news. Um, some of it's going to be very new, others it's not so much. Um, it'll be a variety of topics, but uh, there's some news this week, and I'm sure we'll do um, news in other weeks as well. All right, we'll so, start us uh, off for you. Yeah, our first topic. Um, as you know, Data, there's been a lot of JRPGs that have been coming to Steam lately. Um, quite a lot. And not just Steam, but PC in general. Um, and that's a really good thing, because we're getting a lot of good ports, a lot of not-so-good ports. Yeah. But it's, it's good in general for them to be there. Well... As a lot of people know, Final Fantasy XV is coming to PC, and it's actually coming out in early March. And that's obviously the uh, the new hotness when it comes to Final Fantasy. Um, the big new game that took the world by storm, though I, I understand it wasn't reviewed super amazingly well. It was still supposed to be a really good game, um, and I'm excited for it on PC. Uh, but it's not, you know, it's not something... 
it's not like a lightning strike in regards to its uh, its quality as game, not like Breath of the Wild or Mario Super Mario Odyssey. Yeah, like no one was thinking that. I mean, maybe when it released, people were thinking that maybe this is going to be a game of the year contender, but it just I don't think it really ended up being. Um, I'm not sure how interested I am in in Final Fantasy 15. Um, I'm still kind of salty over Final Fantasy 13, which is okay. That's pretty old, and maybe them. That's a little silly for me to still be salty over it, but uh, but you know, Final Fantasy 13 was the first Final Fantasy game I ever played, which was a terrible, terrible mistake. Um, but uh, that I think has kind of ruined the franchise for me to a certain degree. Yeah, actually, believe it or not, the first Final Fantasy game I ever played was Final Fantasy 14, uh, the MMO, um, and that obviously was really, really good. Um, but it's an MMO. Um, since then, I've played a few of them. You know, I played Final Fantasy VII on the computer or on the PC, and it's not a great port. It works perfectly fine, but, you know, there's issues with it. Um, but that was a pretty fantastic game, and there's been quite a few others that I've been meaning to play. Um, so Final Fantasy is coming up. I'm excited for it. And they just released a benchmark. So for those of you who don't know, um, a PC benchmark is a program that basically tests your PC's ability to run certain programs and games. Yeah, and um, it's there's... generally better than running synthetics because at least a good benchmark is rendered in real time, um, unlike a lot of synthetic workloads, which can place a lot of really unrealistic loads on the system and give you unrealistic expectations of what it can do. Um, so these benchmarks are, are, are a really good ways to figure out whether or not your system can actually run something. Right, and a lot of people have been concerned about whether or not um, Square was going to uh, to put real effort into this port, though they've put in quite a bit of effort to their other ports. So there was, I was, I was never really worried. Um, but the fact that they created a benchmark for it um, suggests that they're they're pretty serious about it. Um, and I ran the benchmark on my PC. It didn't take long to download, about about fifteen minutes, about four gigs. Um, and I will tell you something, this is a beautiful game. It is gorgeous. I had it running at standard quality because that's what I figured my PC could run. It was, it was smooth as butter. It was running at 60 plus FPS the whole time. Um, despite the fact that it's advertised as being so rooted in NVIDIA, it ran on my AMD hardware quite well. Um, there were issues with some hitching with the hair because... The benchmark um, doesn't allow you to turn off certain graphic options. Oh, so, so did it have had, the NVIDIA hair work stuff turned it, on? It did. So that oh, made that's the hair... famous for destroying AMD graphics cards. Like, it's kind of right. designed to. Right. Um, it made the hair a little bit hitchy. Not much, believe it or not. I was actually surprised. I was expecting the hair works to destroy my computer. And it really didn't. Um, it just made the hair a bit glitchy. Um but it was running at 60 frames per second. It was a gorgeous game. Um, the render distance was pretty, pretty, um, pretty reasonable. You know, there was some long distance pop in that you could see if you were looking for it. I don't think anybody um, who was not paying attention would have noticed it. I was specifically looking for those things, um, and it 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 ran really beautifully. And it wasn't like a cutscene. There was it was clearly gameplay. Um, it was. It was, it was being a video. rendered in real, real time. Right. It was rendered in real time. Um, 
one thing that I've read online about it, um, I didn't see this as a spoiler when I watched it, but apparently there is a spoiler in there. Um, I know what it is, so if people are concerned about seeing it, just if you want to run the benchmark on your PC, you can run it, um, and then just walk away for like five minutes. Uh, honestly, I saw it before I learned that it was a spoiler, and I would not have considered it a spoiler prior. Anyone who has, knows anything about Final Fantasy games should have assumed that this was going to be part of the game at some point. It's that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as ports go, I mean, I think PC ports are, have gotten up better, <clears throat> better in the last few years for a couple of different reasons. So one, I think um, PC gaming has had a bit of a, a comeback in the last few years. You know, consoles, I think, were really kind of taking over the video gaming market for a while, and I think PCs are, are kind of making a, a comeback. And also part of that, too, is consoles are getting closer and closer to basically just being PCs. Now, they're not quite the same. Not not really. But they're getting closer. Um, just from an electronics and architectural standpoint. You know, obviously they're running you know, bespoke um, software and operating um, systems that you've got to wrangle with. Um, but I mean the, the Xbox One and the PlayStation 3 basically have, sorry, the PlayStation 4 basically have the same um, internal architecture. It's actually all AMD. It's AMD CPUs. It's AMD graphics. Um, and I would say that both. I mean, your your and my PC are pretty similar because we kind of built them at the same time um, and with used the same similar price hardware. Point. Right. Um, both of our PCs are they, they're they're a good bit more powerful than you know a PS4 or a Xbox One. Yeah, I'd probably say, say in general about two and a half to three times more powerful at least. Right. Um, and I, it, it, you're right. Ports have been popping up more. They've been putting more effort into it because I think PC gaming in general is just getting more popular. Which is interesting because individual parts for PCs right now are actually going up in price. And oh, currently... God. The, the market for yeah. um, home building your PC. This is not a good time to build your own PC. It just isn't. But, it is a good insane. time. It is a good time to buy a pre-built PC. It is um, one one built in-house by like, you know, I, I don't. Assistant ever... integrator, you know. There's, right. There's a bunch um, of I wouldn't suggest Alienware, but that type of company. Yeah, not Alienware. A company like Alienware, like Digital Storm or um, Power PC, companies like those that that take those individual parts. You know, they're not a big, you know, multi, you know, national conglomerate like Dell or something that's that's um, getting custom made parts for them. They're they're basically taking off the shelf parts, but building them into a, a custom system. Um, those are usually called system integrators because they're not building the hardware, but they're creating the computer out of hardware. But the point is, is they can buy that stuff in bulk. Um, they can get, you know, wholesale deals so they can get that stuff a lot cheaper than, well, we can buying it off a shelf, right? And then for those who are who who do consider that, um, it's actually you know you're you're they've got the PC prepared and tested before you get it, so you don't have to go through all the all the difficulties of building a PC that is you know installing the operating system and and you only you have know, to deal with seeing, one warranty, <laughs> right? Seeing if it boots, seeing you know what. If there's any issues, plugging yeah. in all the I mean, cords. don't get me wrong. Really like, I love building PCs, but there's uh, PC building is a is a love hate process. 
Oh yeah, definitely. So um, one extra thing I want to note about Final Fantasy XV. One thing to consider about it, and this is... I hope they come up with a solution for this. They have in the past for their games. I hope they have them ready. Final Fantasy XV on PC is going to be a 100 gigabyte download. I think that's just the world we're in now. Like, yeah, that's but just that's the reality. What I've got on my S- SSD, and you're gonna want to play this game on an SSD because the loading time for the benchmark on an SSD on a four gigabyte SSD or a four gigabyte benchmark on an SSD was like. 30 seconds, which is long for an SSD, yeah. I should say. That's long. Um, this game is going to have some hefty loading times. A standard hard drive is going to be slow. So, yeah, that's that's something to consider. Um, now, a lot of that is going to be all the languages that the game is going to come in. Um, voice acting in all the different languages. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just the reality Hopefully, of modern games. You've got massive textures, everything's voice acted, and game files have been exploding. I mean, right. they, it used to be... I mean, I mean, Nintendo still does it, but they do it by not having voice acting and having textures that look good. I mean, they can fit Zelda on a... on, like, what a shit, a 12-gigabyte cartridge or something like that? It's, it's insane. Right. It's um, small. Now, hopefully... They have talked about this, though. They haven't confirmed it. They may have a separate download for... Final Fantasy 15 with all the with a option for all the all the languages and for the 4K text. That's another big thing. I'm not going to run this game in 4K. Even if I wanted to, my 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 monitor isn't a 4K monitor, so it'd be totally pointless. It'd just be sacrificing performance. So well, I would like to run it at 1080. To running overscale and then downscaling to a smaller monitor, but that's that's a discussion for a different day. Right. So hopefully they provide a separate download for those 4K textures and maybe even have the option to download a version of the game with just your language. I don't... They've talked about it. They I haven't mean, I'm confirmed I'm sure somebody it. on the internet will trace down the files and tell you which ones to delete if you really don't want to have the whole 100 gigabytes on your system. Right, and that will save a lot. That will save a lot. Um, but that's about it. That's something exciting um, for the future. I'm definitely going to play it. I don't know if you're going to play it, Data. Probably not. Um, but I'm sure we'll talk about it. Talk about it at some point. I think you've got an interesting topic, don't you? Yeah. So um, two things, I guess, really. So I know this is news to you, Ryu, and this is recent news to me. They rebooted MythBusters. Yeah. When you told me about that earlier today, I immediately looked up a uh, a trailer for it. Um, I guess it's been airing since November. Yeah, it has. Um, and the reason why I only just found out about it recently is I don't have cable. I haven't had cable for years. No one in my family has. So since, you know, Mythbusters is a is a science channel thing now, it moved from Discovery to the sister channel, Science Channel, I had no idea this existed um, until a co-worker actually told me about it. And then I went up and looked it up, and they, um, they've replaced Adam and Jamie, obviously, Um because uh, I think it's a relatively well-known secret by this point that Adam and Jamie actually really did not like each other. Yeah, they um, they had an interesting relationship. Um, I learned about that a couple of years ago um, with while watching an interview with, um, I think it was Adam. Um, and it's 
it's interesting. You never would have thought that from the actual how they compose themselves in the actual show, but yeah, they didn't like each other. Yeah, well, last year I was sort of rewatching through a lot of the early episodes, and especially in that first season when things are still pretty rough, you can kind of see on screen that they actually don't like each other very much. Um, I think part of it was is as the show got more popular, I think the Discovery got better at editing those parts, or, or editing around those bumps in, <laughs> in the on-screen dynamic. Um, and also, you know, Adam and Jamie are professionals, you know. They'd had worked with each other for years, I think more than a decade for all intents and purposes. I mean, Adam was, I think, actually an employee of Jamie for some time. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're professionals. They had no problem working together in the general sense. But I remember reading an interview uh, recently where Adam was like, yeah, he'd known Jamie for like 20 years, worked with him in the special effects industry for 20 years, and they never want, went, never once had dinner or lunch together. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I may have to go watch a couple of the earlier episodes to see if I can point out what you're talking about. Uh, at least I feel like I could see it anyway. But so they, so they like, so, so when they finished Mythbusters originally, um, Discovery basically gave it to Science Channel just run, you know, reruns for eternity. But I guess Science Channel decided it was, you know, too good of a property to sit on and just leave. They obviously weren't getting Adam and Jamie back because they've moved on to other things. And I think I think Jamie was just tired of being in front of a camera, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah, he seems like that kind of character. Uh, so they, so they, they, like, ran a reality show called Mythbusters The Search where they, like, trying to find the new Mythbusters and that show ended and they, they started a new Mythbusters show with a guy named um, uh, John and uh, a guy named Brian and Brian's dog, Bo, which is actually kind of kind of cute. Um, you know, and it's it's not the original Mythbusters, um, but it's a good show and, and, and Brian and John have, I think, have a good on-screen, dyna- on, on-screen dynamic. Um, it remains to be seen if this show will, if this incarnation of Mythbusters will have the, have the longevity of the last one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, Mythbusters was, has been one of my all time favorite shows. And even if it's not Adam and Jamie, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see the show in a pretty faithful format, you know, come back. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check it out now that you've told me about it. Um, I always thought it was a shame that Mythbusters ended. I really liked that show. That is a show I could sit there and watch for hours. Um, and I have sat down to watch that show for hours. Right. And it's something that I've used in my teaching. Um, it's a pretty educational show. Um, and there's some just really cool things that they do. Things that you know you look at in movies and TV shows and other different uh, media and you wonder, just is it true? Like um, and shit they, <laughs> Right. And they really, they really explored Come for the that a lot. Stay for the science. Yeah, so that's pretty cool that they rebooted that. Yeah, I was actually really happy to see that. And and like I said, you know, they've, you know, Hollywood and TV channels have rebooted and and restarted other stuff in the past and it hasn't worked out, but I think like so far I'm I'm pretty happy with the Mythbusters reboot. Um and another thing I just want to talk about real quickly is um I've I've been watching um Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. Um, and I know you're kind of a Trekkie, Ryu. I'm actually, I traditionally haven't been. Um, I don't know. know if I'd actually call myself a Trekkie because here's the thing. And true blue Trekkies would 
stare daggers at me, but not only have I never seen the original series, I've barely seen the next generation. And you're a big I've Voyager seen every... person, right? Like you're big into Voyager. Yep. I've seen every single episode of Voyager multiple times. Um, when I was a kid, among people I know who do claim to be like super high order Trekkies, like everyone says that Voyager is the worst of the original TV shows. Yeah, I don't agree, but I've never seen the other two. I think Voyager is really, really good. Real, you know, Trekkie, hardcore Trekkies actually say that Voyager is just a big waste of time, which I totally disagree with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also has a considerable amount of nostalgia factor. Um, when I was a kid, when I was really young and I couldn't sleep at night, um, I'd go out into the living room and my mom would be watching Star Wars or Star Trek Voyager. Star Wars Voyager. And I would watch with it. Right. And I would watch with her. Eventually, we got our hands on all seven seasons on DVD. And when I was sick and home from school, that's what I would watch. And then eventually, you know, it just slowly but surely, I'd watched every episode multiple times. Mm -hmm. Well, there's definitely something to be said for nostalgia. Um I've really been, in, of course, also, like, I'm the guy who, like, really enjoyed Star Trek Enterprise, which actually, I think most Trekkies will say that Star Trek Enterprise was a lot worse than Voyager. I really enjoyed Enterprise. I liked that show. Um, yeah, I've so never Star seen Trek that one. Star Trek Enterprise is sort of, like, in the, in, the t- in the chronology of the TV shows, it's the, it's the one set earliest in the time period. Um, right. So it's set, like like 50 years before the original series or something like that before the federation like the federation is even a thing in star trek enterprise and i think before discovery isn't that the most recent series before discovery yeah i think it is yeah so and i also really liked the newer movies um the the jj abrams movies were Mm -hmm. i thought they were really good i thought and the second one was just they just stopped taking themselves seriously and just had fun with it and it, it really benefited from it. I had a philosophy professor who actually loved to and, and to rail against the new movies. Um, we're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into the movies versus the TV shows. That's But um, Star Trek Discovery is really interesting in um, at least from, from what I've seen of the TV shows, especially Star Trek Enterprise and a little bit of the Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and some Voyager. Um Star Trek Discovery, I think, is the only one that, at least at the very start, starts out set during a war. So I guess this is a bit bit of some spoilers, but if you've been paying attention, you probably it's not super spoilers. Um, Star Trek Discovery, at least the, at least to where I am at this point in the first season, is basically the backdrop of the entire plot is this massive Federation Klingon war. Um, where, like, in the first six months, like, 8,000 Federation, um, you know, personnel are killed and dozens and dozens of ships destroyed, and it's just, like, it's a, it's a, it's real bad. Um, it's, That's pretty it, interesting. Um, so it it has a... <clears throat> I, I guess I don't know what other Trekkies, you know, what more traditional Trekkies think of, but at times, at least, it feels like a more cynical show than, say, The Next Generation or even Enterprise, um, which... Is it the first conflict with the... I'm, I, I'm not, I don't know if it's the first conflict with the Klingons. It's the first, I think it's the first conflict between the Federation and the Klingons. So okay, it's like the humans okay. and the Vulcans and the Andorians and all those other crazy alien people, as opposed to it just being humans. Um, but I think it's the first, like, full-scale war between, 
you know, the Federation and the Klingons. Now, Star Trek Discovery is episodic, correct? Yes. And actually, every season is supposed to be a different crew and a different story. Did you uh, know well, that? That's actually news to me. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Um, that's my understanding of it. That's what I read as it was being released, because I originally planned to watch this religiously, um, but I just I just didn't get around to it, and it's on a streaming service that I don't necessarily have. But yes, it's every season is supposed to be its own self-contained story with changing crews. See, I actually kind of like that. I think that's a cool idea. I think it is, too, because one of the problems with at least Voyager, and I assume the original series and The Next Generation was that it's so long-strung that character development had to be relatively slow, plot development had to be relatively slow, and there could be a beginning and an end in mind, but you had no idea how long the middle was going to be, so the storytelling, um, the storytelling could, be, could drag on at times. Yeah, it's sort of the, um, the quintessential problem of any kind of serialized or syndicated work. You right. know, the, you know, it's like shonen manga. You know, the, the, the point of the, sh of, the, of the work is to last as long as possible. And that always means one of two things. One, the stakes can never get so high as to fundamentally change the nature of the work. Or you get power creep, like how Dragon Ball Z goes from people punching each other in the face really hard to blowing up galaxies. Right. Um, but this actually gives Star Trek Discovery a unique opportunity um, for comparisons between seasons because one common thing is that people often don't like later seasons compared to earlier seasons because characters change, um, situations change, uh, cast and crew change. Um, but Star Trek Discovery has the opportunity to have each season uh, viewed at and critiqued essentially as be its, its own, own show. Thing. Right, as its own thing. And then comparisons between seasons can be easier and more meaningful mm -hmm. simply because they can each be viewed and merited on their own. Mm -hmm. Well, regardless, I don't, I don't want to get too deep into it because I, I really would recommend you check Discovery out, Ryu, if you can find a way to watch it. Like I said, it's if I know your parents, at least I think your parents have a cable or like a satellite um, uh, subscription, you can probably get access to the CBS streaming service through them, or that somehow. I'm willing to bet. Um, right, our, I'll look into it. Our household, I mean, we don't we do not do much in the way of television and stuff like that, but I'll, I'll see if I can figure it out. Yeah, the other option is, I've actually been watching it through a streaming service called um, Stream Royale, um, which uh, I've been looking through it, like, I'm actually stealing it from a friend, but it is amazing the stuff that Stream Royale gets. Like, you could almost drop, like, Hulu and Netflix and just pick up Stream Royale, because somehow Stream Royale even gets a lot of the, like, Netflix exclusive stuff, even some of the Amazon Prime exclusive stuff. How they get it, I have no idea, and as far as I'm aware, it is legal, so. Interesting. Um, but anyway, like I said, let's, don't want to dive too deep into that, because I, I think you'll enjoy it, and I don't want to spoil anything for you. Um, right. I, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. I'll work. I'll do my best. Uh, so I so think, our uh, next topic. Yes. Solo. The Curious Case of Solo, a Star Wars Story. So before we get into the potential for this movie, um, 
have you noticed the very, very strange way that this uh, movie has been advertised? Uh, I mean, in the sense that it kind of hasn't been. Exactly. Um, this movie is slated to come out on May 25th. Um, and we have ha- currently For had For the record, two... they missed a huge opportunity to put it on May the 4th there, I'm just saying. They did, but there's a reason that it's on, not on May the 4th. Um, they have missed a huge opportunity, don't get me wrong. And this is Disney. Um, they could have figured this out. This movie has had almost no promotional material. Currently, we have a 30-second TV bit that came out today with the Super Bowl. Which neither of us um, care about, because the Packers are Right, we, yeah, we didn't. We didn't want. I didn't watch it at least. Um, and there has before that there was a poster that came out months ago. We've known about Solo for a long time. Yeah, I mean, like I think we've known about it for at least a year. Haven't seen anything of it, right? Um, and it was assumed by just about everybody that it was going to be delayed till next December. And there's a reason for that. First of all, for the last two or for the last three years, there has been a Star Wars movie that has come out every December. We had Star Wars Episode Seven, Force then we Awakens. had Rogue One, and, and then, then we had Eight: The Last Jedi. So this is coming. I mean, in some ways, like the nerd rage in some circles over the Last Jedi um, still hasn't even quieted down, and probably will still have not have yet quieted down by the time this movie comes out. Like I made the right. mistake of of clicking on one of those videos about nerd rage about social justice warriors ruining star wars yesterday and i don't know why but like now like my suggested youtube feed is just filled with those like i don't want to see that stuff (laughs) yeah so that's probably part of the reason why we haven't gotten much promotional material for this movie simply because there was just a star wars movie it it just came out um and we it's in in a lot of theaters it's still probably still in a lot of theaters. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and the and other thing too, and I actually think this is probably really smart on Disney's part. Like Disney knows, like if you're into Star Wars at this point, you're going to see this movie. Oh yeah. Like oh, Disney yeah. doesn't need to advertise this at this point. They just need to get the date out. And right. I think they also the more. This is just but, my but, this is just my theory at this point that the more material they put out there the more ammo they're going to give the nerd ragers to nerd rage over. So they know because so Disney knows they're going. Like like no matter how much those guys rage about it, they're probably still going to go see the movie. And, you know, of it's kind of like it's kind of like what they did with Fallout um with Fallout 4 where you know with Bethesda went on the um the 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 stage at E3 back, what was it, 2013, 2014, whatever it was, game hadn't even been announced, announced the game and said, hey, it's coming out in three months. <laughs> right. But here's the thing. It wasn't about getting the date out there, because we already had the date. We've had May 25th slated for Solo since the first promotional poster came out. I mean, you gotta it give not. it to Disney, like, they don't, you know, shit around. They're like, hey, yeah, we've got a movie roadmap for the next 15 years. Here's all the movies, and here's their estimated release dates. And they were serious. Um, but there's, again, there's another reason why this is peculiar, and why they have why the fact that they haven't pushed it back to next December is unusual. May is going to be a big month for Disney, because we've got Solo with Star Wars Story coming out on May 25th, 
We also have Avengers Infinity War coming out on the 4th. May 4th. They really should have switched those. Yeah, they should have. They should have. <laughs> but those are two massive movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean Star probably... Wars Solo isn't going to be Solo isn't going to be super huge. Um, I don't even think it's going to be as big as Rogue One. Rogue One was something else. Um, but Avengers is going to be massive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely massive. I mean, you look at the starring roles cast on Wikipedia. I'm looking at it right now. There's like 30 names. I mean, Avengers are have become the quintessential Disney ensemble cast movie. <laughs> right. It's huge. It's going to be huge. And it's coming out the same month as Solo. A very weird decision. They could have pushed back Solo to December and everyone would have been really happy because that would mean that every year around Christmas we could be looking at a Star Wars movie. So here's a crazy theory. What if we're still going to get one in December? What would it be? I don't know, the Boba Fett movie maybe? Boba Fett or maybe an Obi-Wan movie? Maybe. I don't know. We're getting a, a longer trailer for Solo tomorrow. Um, what we did see, this short 30-second trailer, looks really cool. There's some very, very cool stuff in there. Like, so um, so it, I'm going to be honest. I'm still not sure how I feel about this movie. Um, okay, why do you say that? So, just for me, like... I just so I just so associate Solo with Harrison Ford. Like I think it's just going to take a bit of a jump for me to 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 watch a movie about Han Solo where Harrison Ford isn't Han Solo. Like I understand that this is young Han Solo and that's just how it has to be. Um but I'm I'm I I am I'm just not convinced necessarily that someone can come up and pull off that solo sort of oblivious swagger that makes solo so fun. Um, I would I, love I to see it happen. I'm definitely going to go see it, and I'm I'm going to go see it with, with as open of a mind as I can, hoping to be impressed. I'm just not yet 100% convinced they can pull it off. I totally agree, um, and I do think that's going to be the number one criticism. Um, this actor, uh, and I looked up his name. I forgot it now. Let me give give me a second to Google it. Um, but I I haven't even heard of this guy. One sec. Which is probably a good thing. Oh yeah, it probably is. Let's see. His name is Alden Ehrenreich. Let's see what has else he, he's has done he been in anything else? Uh. Nothing. I'm nothing major. He's been on Supernatural. He was an episode. He was in an episode of Supernatural and CSI Crime Scene Investigation. Well, I mean, at this point, um, you know what aspiring actor hasn't been on Law and Order or right. CSI? That doesn't that doesn't mean anything. He hasn't been in much, and all this stuff I've never heard of. Hmm. He was in. He's been nominated. He's been nominated for a few awards, nothing like Oscars level. Right, so I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm. 
and this is how I've sort of been going into all of the Star Wars movies, Star, you know, all of the recent Star Wars movies. I am cautiously optimistic. I want to go in and enjoy the movie. I, I guess after, what, three movies now, I'm still not completely convinced that Disney's not going to screw this up at some point. <laughs> right. I mean, they've been doing a really good job. Rogue One was downright incredible. Mm-hmm. It was downright incredible. Although, this admittedly, has another like, opportunity. Rogue One is better when you just start like at the last third of the movie and just watch that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could agree with that. It's it's slow in the beginning, and there's some problems, but it was a good movie. Oh, it is. It was Don't a good get me movie. Wrong. It's um, you know, um, oh. what was it? Roland Emmerich was that the director? Yeah, Roland Emmerich. He set out to make a Star Wars war movie, like the first like legit war movie in the Star Wars universe, and he did it. Um, see, I think that's one of the th- interesting things that like no, Disney's uh, sort of directed by Gareth Edwards. Sorry, Gareth Edwards. How did I get Roland Emmerich out of that? I don't know. Ignore me. Um, anyway, um, like one of the things that Disney has doing, like they they did it with Marvel, where it's like, hey, a superhero movie d- isn't a genre. It's an aesthetic trapping. We can make a spy movie with superheroes, or a war movie with superheroes, or a character study with superheroes, or an ensemble story with superheroes, or a heist film with superheroes. Like, it used to be like superhero was its own genre, and basically what Disney and Marvel says, no, 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 no. We're just making regular movies. We're just doing them with superheroes. And I feel like that's kind of the direction that Disney's moving with Star Wars as well, where it's like... Star Wars is not a genre, it's a setting. And you can, there's a lot of different stories you can tell than just the traditional, you know, hero's journey in the Star Wars universe. And I think that's a really good thing. I think it's a really good thing. Oh, I absolutely agree. And Solo has the potential to be really good. Now, I am concerned. So, it's a bit weird that because of the placement of The Last Jedi... And that would have obviously conflicted with Solo in a marketing sense. There's just no way to avoid it. Obviously, to any kind of enthusiast, nerd, anybody who was even slightly familiar with Star Wars, we would have known that it would have been two different movies. But the you know the layperson who's just going to go to a movie and have fun, um, and who's watched the Star Wars movies and likes them but isn't necessarily a fan, um, you know, having two Star Wars movies being equally pushed at the same time would have been confusing and would have potentially um, muddied the message. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's still weird, though. There's basically three months, essentially, to advertise for this movie. Um, That's pretty small for something like this, for a Star Wars movie. Um, It does suggest that maybe they're not confident in the movie though they did put a tv spot out yeah, like, in so here's the thing like if, if disney didn't want you to go to this movie they wouldn't have put a tv spot during the super bowl <laughs> right so they've got to have at least some confidence um i like when disney wants find to it bury weird. a movie but still release it they can't because they've done it Right, they've done it. They've they did totally it Treasure done it. Island. They did it to Atlantis. You know, two two of the probably the best underrated Disney movies of all time that got buried because Disney execs, for whatever reason, and there's there's some conspiracy didn't, theories didn't that sort like of it. going around those two movies, but but that the Disney execs wanted to kill those movies intentionally, and so when Disney wants to bury a movie, they can. They've done right. it. Right. 
So if they those wanted to bury movies, this movie, too. we wouldn't be talking about it. Yeah, those those are good movies too. We maybe sometime we should talk about random over older movies that we love. I'd be up dedicate that, ourselves yeah. to watching watching them and then um, and then talk about them. That could be fun. But yeah, so this is going to be. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic for Solo too. Um, there's some very cool visuals in the trailer, and we're getting a, we're getting a longer trailer tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like it's going to have a very different tone from what you're used to in a Star Wars movie, even even more out there than Rogue One, because Rogue One also had a pretty different tone. Um, and I actually am kind of excited about that. Uh, yeah, this will be interesting. I'm sure we'll be talking about it more. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, there, there's some things that I can I can definitely talk about from 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 watching the trailer. You know, they're obviously pulling in some some expanded universe stuff. Um, you know, ha- having been a soldier myself, it's just kind of funny watching the trailer. Where like the the narration of the trailer is Solo talking to an Imperial recruiter. <laughs> right, it's I want to so be the best. Weird. And and even the music, the music of the trailer suggests a very different tone. Than um, than any of the other movies so far, and that's saying something because the Last Jedi was had had a very different tone itself. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. So I mean, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Cautiously optimistic. I'm definitely going to go see it, and um, assuming we're still doing this, which I mean, at least at the moment, I don't see any reason we want. We'll probably be talking about it on a podcast. Yeah, uh, you can fully expect us to um, see it opening weekend. I mean, at least me. For sure. Um, I don't know. You, you probably have to drive 10 hours somewhere. Hey, I drove a six-hour round trip to go see um, the, the Last Jedi on opening weekend. So I've done it, and I'll probably, right. I'll probably do it again for this if I have to. Right. Um, so we'll, when that time comes around, we'll, uh, we'll definitely talk about it. We'll have a spoiler-free day, and then later on, maybe two or three weeks later, we'll do... We'll do a spoilers yeah, talk. We've had on some it. time to jet, to digest it and, and probably maybe see it a second time. Right, right. So uh, I guess that moves on to our final segment for the week. That right, being our, uh, our deep dive anime of the of the season, Darling in the Franks. So we got the third episode out now, and it was it was interesting. Oh yeah. Uh, was, how about you start? Was... You you took notes. I took notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is not normal for me. Like I was telling Ryu this before we started recording. This is not normal for me. Like I have watched all of these episodes at least twice. I think the third one I actually watched three times. Um and like I I am I am loving this show. I'm loving the way it's sort of drip feeding information and I'm just I am I probably have an unhealthy relationship with the show at this point. Um <laughs> Just like how uh, Miku and Zorome have a very unhealthy relationship in the show. I'm just... <laughs> um, deep cut. Anyway. Um, yeah, so so I, I actually rewatched the the episode just before we started recording. And, and I took a, a series of notes that are just... Just things that caught me over the course of the show that I, I felt like I wanted to talk about. Or, or just wanted to bring up or, or, or something. Um, so one thing I, I guess I want to start with is... So in the last episode, like I sort of talked about my metaphor for what's going on between zero zero two and hero zero one six. 
Right. Um, the basically the it, that being that Hero has a, a massive amount of energy that he can push through, and Zero Two being a very very large conduit that can handle all of that energy. Uh, so um, yeah, so I, I feel like reason. in part from watching this episode and getting some more information. Um, I think I want to refine my metaphor a little bit. So I'm going to stick with the computer metaphor because I know you'll understand this and hopefully our listeners will too. Um, so I sort of look at at the stamen, the male pilot, the male half of the, the parasite of the frogs. Trigger loves to just throw this kind of stuff out there. Um, but uh, um, it's sort of like the motherboard of a computer. And the the pistol, the female portion of the the pair, is sort of like the CPU and the 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 the, the graphics card. And, and and let me sort of try to explain what I'm what I'm trying to get out here. So, you know, in a computer, you know, the CPU and the graphics card and, and all that stuff. That's the that's the part of the computer that does all of the processing. That's the part that actually crunches the numbers and the part that re- parts that re- require the most power, right? Okay. Okay. The motherboard is responsible for allowing all of those parts to talk to each other and to allocate power to where it's needed. So one of the most important parts of a motherboard is the voltage regulation um, uh, uh, module. And so the, the way, the, sort of what I'm trying to get here, get at here is if you plug in a CPU in a motherboard that requires, let's say, 150 watts of, of power, let's just throw a number out there, that processor is going to pull or can pull 150 watts regardless of whether or not the voltage regulation the 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 power the motherboard is capable of supplying that power um and what i mean by that is okay yeah so the the cpu is going to pull 150 watts and the motherboard will supply 150 watts but if it's not set up to do that sustainably it'll do it for a quarter of a second and then explode um and I'm I'm not joking. I actually had a I actually built a computer for a friend a couple of years ago. Where the motherboard had a faulty VRM module, and it literally did explode. It actually caught fire. Okay. Um, okay. So, because I because it's I don't want to say that the the this, the male part is the power supply because I don't think they're the ones supplying the power. They're the one like the motherboard is what you plug the peripherals into. It's what you, you know. It's, it's your inputs, right? It's what allows everything to talk to it to each other. Um, where the, like what I was talking about before, the girl is like the the CPU doing the number crunching, actually making the thing work, but the CPU can't do anything unless you give it an input, unless you tell it to do something. And that's essentially what the motherboard does. It takes the input from the mouse and the keyboard and the microphone I'm talking into right now and tell and you know tells the CPU what kind of information that is based on where it's plugged in and 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 what what file format it's feeding and then the CPU can do something with it. Am I making any sense at all? Yeah, but I don't necessarily agree. Okay. So, I think your previous theory was closer than that. Um I don't really see the the male as a as a motherboard um i think he is actually the one doing most of the most most of the actual controlling i would actually place him more it, it from a control standpoint um i would actually place him more on the side of 
maybe 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 not the CPU, but maybe the RAM or maybe well, a so graphics card. I would almost card. say like like so in really in in really really old days, like before modern, you know, what we think of as modern CPUs today, like all the CPU was was the integer cores. And the motherboard had the graphics and the memory controller and like the, the the motherboard was basically doing as much of the number crunching as the CPU was almost. Um, and that's that's a, that, okay. those are much okay. older systems, and so um, and so and the CPU had all of the power regulation. I mean, the motherboard had all the power regulation. It had the graphics. It controlled the RAM. You know, it, it, it you know these days all the motherboard is is a bunch of connectors that you slot everything into. But it, motherboards actually used to be a lot more involved in the functioning of the computer than they are today. Okay, fair. Um, and maybe from a control standpoint, that makes some amounts of sense. My my thought is that it seems like they're pretty equal when it comes to the control of the mech. Because first of all, you have to understand that the female, it's not like she's controlling, she's not like operating any any kind of input or or user interface or controls of any form. She kind of takes on the consciousness of the mech that much is very clear that she probably sees what the mech sees yeah well i mean i think that's i mean i absolutely agree with that statement and you even see it like when like i think we talked about in the last episode when the girl is talking you don't see her face when they're in the mech you see the mech's face and the mech's mouth is moving and when they're like the little screen pops up when they're trying to talk to people like it's the face of the mech not the face of the girl Right. Um, now the the male has a control input. They've he's got those those you know joystick looking things that come out. Um, so there's there's obviously an element of control when it comes to the male, but I don't necessarily think the analogy to the computer quite works. I think it's still I think it's a simpler one, and I do agree with what you previously said that it's that it's more of the um, a power input and output type thing. Yeah. So I actually more see the, I think it's very clear now that in, in a power sense, the male is the battery, um, and then the female is like the cord or the conduit that can take out the energy. And one thing, uh, Mitsuru, who tried to pilot with Zero uh, Two, said is that she tried to take, you know, she, she started with a steady flow, she but then she him. took everything and then kept going tried to take more and more and more what that tells me is that he had you know he had a certain amount of energy and it's already been kind of kind of clarified that the the numbers that they have um are are towards the uh are indicative of an energy level well Um, so i don't so uh, i want to stop you there because when i was making my original analogy i wasn't trying to say that the boy was supplying power um because i I don't think the the male i don't think either one of them are actually supplying power to the system like the 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 fronks have their own power cores that will probably never be explained i don't care um i think a a more accurate way to sort of um and maybe this is actually a more accurate description of what i was trying to say last time that we've sort of talked this through is imagine an electrical circuit right and so you've got a a power supply on one end and then you've got a cable going 
to two fuses in line and the cable going back to the power back to the power supply. And in this analogy, the power supply is the fronks. And the pilots are the two fuses. And the reason why the pilots are paired the way they are is because they're fuses of the same capacity, if that makes sense. You know, because right. a, a so, fuse is literally designed to break above a certain power draw. Um, and so, you know, in in the Mitsuru zero two setup, you know, Mitsuru was a, a five watt fuse, and zero two is a fifty watt fuse. <laughs> I, see, okay, all right. I should have clarified this when I was talking about it, but I wasn't talking about literal power not like electricity to power the mechs. Obviously the mechs have their own power source. I'm talking about the mental fortitude it takes to run one of those things. Because mm -hmm. they clearly combine, you know, we, we've seen that they can pilot these things on their own. Um, though it's very dangerous because it takes so, it puts so much mental duress on the on the user that mm -hmm. it um, it can well, it can kill them. Um, so it, and, and the way, you know, even if you look at the inside of it and how they position themselves inside the, inside the mech, it, again, it looks like the male is funneling certain amounts of mental fortitude through the female. And the female is the one who has the consciousness of the mech. So she's got the most burden on her that therefore he needs to supply her with that with that energy, that mental fortitude energy. See, I'm not necessarily sure that's that's how that's working because when you, if you and I, I, I did this intentionally. When you, if you go back and you rewatch episode two, there's actually a scene in there where Nana, like their mentor controller figure, specifically says that the stamen, the boy, has primary control over the movements of the mech. Right. Okay. Keep going. So. In, in my mind, it's not so much that the boy is supplying fortitude so that the girl can control the mech. It's that there, it's a distribution of prior of 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 priorities. So the boy is in charge for moving the mech, and the girl is sort of used as a conduit to translate those commands into the mech itself. And that's why the girl essentially is it essentially it becomes the mech. Um, the and there's sort of the, like this feedback cycle where the boy goes to the girl to the mech back to the boy and then it sort of you know goes back and forth sort of like that. Um, okay, but then if it's just if it's just him that the the male is helping um, transfer commands through the mech and then the female kind of processing those and then you know, that, that sort of thing, and then doing the other aspects that would need the mech, it wouldn't make as much sense that one of them could overwhelm the other. And what became clear to me in this episode is that whatever type of energy that they're sharing or transferring or whatever, um, Mitsuru joined on with Zero Two, and Zero Two's, you know, conduit opened up to its to a higher extent and took everything that Mitsuru had at once. Took absolutely everything that he had at once, and then when there wasn't anything else to give, she started going after 
you know, the things, you know, that which keeps him alive. That, you know, the energy that he has that, you know, again, he said he tried to kill her. Well, see, that's uh, what I was trying to get at with my fuse um, analogy was this idea that if 02 is a 50 watt fuse and Mitsuru is a 5 watt fuse, well, that means that, um, that through that circuit, if you put a load on that, if you put a 50 watt load on that circuit, which is essentially what um, Zero Two is doing during that scene, you know, Zero Two is fine, but Mitsuo blows up because he he can't survive that kind of 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 power draw. Um, oh, so you're saying? Okay, I see. So you're saying that the the the, the power draw, as you said before, you said this before, but I'm just using um, it. I'm just explaining it differently. Right. It, they're not. They are taking it from the mech. Yeah, and so that's and what then, I mean. Where it's okay. it's it's. I mean, I don't mean it's literally an electrical circuit. I mean it's, but it's it's a it is. I think it is a circuit. Um, where they where you've got the three parts. You've got the mech, the boy, and the girl that are all connected in line and feeding back through each other. And the mech is pushing out fifty watts. The girl is taking in fifty watts, and the boy is only able to take in five. And, and, and it's overwhelming. And, and, the yeah, in the case of Mitsuru, yeah. Um, but with so, Hero, that's not the case. Right, but Hero is a bigger fuse, you know. He's also a 50-watt fuse. Um, so that means you can put full load on the circuit without blowing out one of the fuses. You know, so it's sort of like... It might actually make more sense to say, like, you've got two fuses, an engine, and a power source, or, like, a motor and a power source. And the the motor and the power source are, are both the Franks. And so Zero Two is, because of her... Um, because she's a bigger fuse, she can access more of the Franks' power, pull more, and supply more, you know, to the engine. Um, so she can put that... You know, she can tell the Franks to, hey, I can handle this pull a 50 watt load but because Mitsuru is a 5 watt fuse he blows up but because Hiro is a 50 watt fuse he's fine does that make sense? Okay. yeah that makes sense Okay. Um, I think we'll learn more in the next episode because they're probably going to debrief on what happened um, and, have, and we'll be able to see the characters reactions and possibly get a little bit of lore, um, lore explanation Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, I think we'll have a better idea after the next episode. Yeah, yeah. But so speaking of lore, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that gets dropped throughout this episode that I just I just found interesting. So even before the you know the the op- the opening runs, you know Papa and those crazy weird you know whatever those guys are the controlling council the whatever refer to um, not wanting to leave zero two around a tainted stamen. Presumably referencing Hiro. So, and I'm just sort of sitting. I was like, okay, so why is he tainted? Like, what does that even mean? Does that have something to do with his failure to connect with Naomi? Um, I think in a previous episode they also reference him as like the special specimen. Um, so I mean, clearly, like whoever these people are, like they've been paying attention to Hiro, and there's something different about him. Um, that apparently they see is t- potentially dangerous. Um, it's just a, a question of, of, of what that is, which I presumably will be expounded upon later in the show. I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I caught that too. I'm, 
I'm not sure what they mean by that. Um, that's obviously hinting towards something that we'll learn about. Um, we already know that Hero is special in some ways among the among his kind of uh, his team, um, and that's obviously related by tainted. What you know, I would say that Zero Two already is possibly tainted having a blood of a Klaxosaur. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't even fully know what that yeah, how means does that happen? yet either. Um, so I guess we'll, uh, we'll have to find out with, with hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and sort of in that same scene, they're also talking about, they talk about the nines um, and they sort of reference a, a front. There's multiple scenes in the, in the show where they reference a front line and like they're talking about, like, oh, there's how these high-level Klaxosaurs popping up, and that is, at least I caught that as sort of them saying, oh, this is not normal, which almost would imply that there's like, like almost an actual war going on. Like this is not just random occurrence. I mean, yes, there are random Klaxosaurs that show up, but that like they keep referencing this front line, which at least you know to me says, okay, there is a place where on where there is a imaginary line where on one side of the line it's a shit ton of Klaxosaurs. <laughs> And on the other side of the line, it's a shit ton of frocks. Right. Like, there's an army out there fighting an army of Klaxosaurs, and the Nines, I guess, are like the Green Berets or something. Um, you know, they're the special forces. Uh, so it, it almost seems like the crew that we've been following so far, the ones attached to this plantation, are almost more like a militia or a National Guard kind of force, where it's like, yeah, they're there to be the first responders, in the event of a Klaxosaur attack on Plantation 13, but it's not really their job to be fighting the war, per se. Though it does seem to be hinted that uh, Hero may be, um, may be joining Zero Two on the, on the front lines. Yes, I think... And there's... perhaps the rest of them as well. Yeah. Well, and there's also a reference where Nana, and this is sort of in the, a similar scene where Nana's actually telling um, Zero Two that Papa is ordering her back to the front line. Um, she mentions that they're in a regular squad. Like this is an irregular squad. Like there's something, you know, just I guess beyond Hero that's fundamentally different about this squad. Um, you know, that could be uh, something as simple because obviously um, the partner that we see Zero Two with earlier in the movie or in the show is much older. Like he looks like he's probably in his twenties or thirties. I mean, these kids are in their teens, obviously. Um, and there's a reference earlier in the show in episode two that, oh, you're just going to let this plantation's Franks squad get wiped out again, which is something that Zero Two says. So, like, I almost wondering, like, are these kids, like, being pressed into service, like, out of some kind of emergency for a lack of pilots or something? Is that what makes them regular? Like, they're not supposed to be doing this yet. They're too young for it, but there aren't enough parasites that they have to be pushed into it. I don't know. Maybe. Um, I guess they do have a a high level of focus on being a, uh, on managing to beat the Klaxosaurs and defeat them. And they they all all of the other teammates, other than uh, Hero and Zero Two, seem pretty focused on are seem pretty worried about their so far inability to do that, um, as if they'll be discarded. So perhaps it's even deeper that they're keep searching. It's not that just that these um, that they could be sent out to the front lines, but it's like they're searching for compatible um, compatible parasites 
to uh, to be able to send to the front lines, mm-hmm. or or well, perhaps you might have a point there because there is a point where, like, I forget his name, but the the chubby guy even says, "Oh, if we really did, we could even make the big time." Well, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? So I think so, you might be onto something there. And then I have to go back to thinking about the the character from the the first episode, the girl who had to leave. Naomi. Again, Naomi. where did she? Where was she going? Obviously, she was attacked by a Klaxosaur and, and presumably killed. But where were well, they so sending they, her? They reference in episode three that she episode two that she survived. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, there's a reference in episode two that she survives and that she's going to be fine. Whether or not that's true, who knows? But that's that's what's right. said. So where were they again? Where they were sending her? Is it possible they were sending her to the front lines, which is basically a? Well, they kept saying that she was going to the orphanage, um, and I don't care, you know, what culture you're talking about. The phrase "orphanage" is usually a negative connotation. Right. They were sending her back to the orphanage. I don't. I'll have to. Well, I'll have to go back and rewatch the episode. But I don't remember if they were saying if she was going back to the orphanage or if she was just going to the orphanage. So maybe the orphanage is where failed parasites go. Did they start in? They. I think they all started in an orphanage, though. When they were younger, they were in the orphanage, and then they were taken. They were taken to the birdcage. I don't know. We'll we'll have to. Sort, I'll have to go back and rewatch um, the episodes because this is one thing that Trigger loves to do. They just sort of lo- lo- love to throw words at you. Um, but um, let's see. So, uh, just um, I guess a couple quick last things. Uh, I just found it interesting, um, and I didn't. I didn't. This didn't hit me until just this last um, this last episode. Um, but in the, in the first episode, you know, Hero is telling the story of this one-winged bird, right? That can only fly if it finds a mate, and they sort of cuddle or whatever, and then they have two wings and they can fly as a pair. And that's obviously intended as a metaphor um, for the parasites, because they can only, can only fly, can only, you know, be useful if they have a mate, a, pa- a partner, um, to pilot a Franx. Um, and I just sort of found it really interesting, just sort of really... Um, it probably doesn't mean anything greater. I just thought it was a, uh, an interesting um, thing that I noticed was that in those scenes where um, uh, in episode three, and it happens in episode two as well, but I think it didn't hit me till episode three is that when zero two is leading hero through those security gates, well, they've grasped onto each other and they're going through at the same time and they even run along like in sync at the same time, like holding right. hands. So, that was kind of <laughs> weird. That was kind of weird actually. Right, but, but that made me think important. of that story of of the one winged bird, where like Hero can only fly um, with you know if he's in sync with Zero Two, you know, just like he can only get through these security gates if he's in sync with Zero Two. Um, just a, a visual metaphor that I thought was was interesting, and and she obviously doesn't fully need him, but he is a great motivator for him. Well, so I think she does need him because presumably even she's not powerful enough to pilot, uh, you know, the Stiletzia completely by herself. Presumably that would put a toll on her eventually. And as we saw right. with um, with Mitsuru and whoever that poor bastard was that she was piloting with previously, 
I don't think she can release her full power unless she has a maybe not hero specifically, but a a, a partner of the compatibility of hero. So yeah, she doesn't need him, but she can't reach her full capacity, her full um, potential without him. I think at least that's where this is leading so far. Which suggests there's an enormous amount of potential to be released, which is very consistent with uh, Trigger series. Yes. Um, uh, so another thing is just... Uh, so there's that, again, the, uh, that scene at the end where... Um, you know, the team's all working together. They're taking on that giant Klaxosaur worm. And they've, like, they're holding the mouth open for, for Stiletzia. And Stiletzia rockets past and presumably under the, you know, under the, the control of, of, of Zero Two as she's inhabiting Stiletzia. She turns and she smiles at Ichigo. I saw that more of, as a smirk than a smile. Well, see, that, that well, that's the thing. Like... That's what I thought the first time, but the second time, like, I wasn't so sure. Like, yes, it could be a smirk, sort of like, oh, look, you know, he, he can do it with me when he can't do it with you kind of thing. Um, but at the same time... Like, I should say, like, no, hold on. It, it's clear it's not he can do it with me, but he can't do it with you. It's you can't do it with him, but I can. Mm. If If we're talking about, you know conduits and and energy levels and that and whatever else compatibility well i mean that's essentially what i was trying to say i mean right but there's this it suggests that he is the one i actually think it does because it's that suggests that he is the one holding her back but actually it's her holding him back and I think that's pretty clear so far. I think that's been pretty well established mm-hmm. that the reason that he's not been compatible with the other with the other um, the other girls is because they have been holding him back. They can't reach the potential that he can. But that's beside the point. We'll learn more about that. Keep going. Right. So, like, well, the other thing I'm almost wondering is like, and again, you know, this is me probably reading too far into it, but I almost wonder if it's because my my sec- the second time through I was like looking at that like. Could that be like a smile of recognition saying, oh, hey, we worked together and we did a good job and we killed this Klaxosaur? And I, mean, I don't know, is, is there any chance that that's actually um, I think it's possible. A, a smile of genuine affection, in, in, at least as far as Zero Two, I guess, is capable of giving it in, in that I circumstance? I think it's possible, but I, I, I'm more on the side of it being a smirk, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more on the side of it being a smirk at this point, and and I may be to- proven totally wrong, um, and we'll probably find out next episode. To be perfectly honest, because that was a pretty dif- that was a pretty highlighted moment. Um, obviously, building up to some character characterization in the next episode, um, but I I think it was a smirk. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. I'm just, I guess, I'm just trying to throw out uh, another potential. Um... Right, just, and it's totally a potential. To it's totally a potential. Um, um, could very well be. Maybe I'll, I'll have to take a look at it again, but I don't know. I, I saw a smirk. That was the feeling that I was getting. That's mm-hmm. been the kind of the consistent thing for the last few episodes. It's basically been a bit of a bit of a passive aggressive, passive aggressive argument between the two of them um, about who should pilot with him or who can. 
Right, but one thing that just, uh, you know, we were sort of talking about Hero going and joining the Nines. I I think we're going to see the Nines, but I get the feeling that for the most part, we're going to stick with the squad we have. Um, and I, I'm just saying that because you know, maybe I've watched too many episodes of Mother's Basement and, and OP analysis, but there's a there's a scene in the OP where there's a sort of this big, you know, swelling of the music, and you've got the the four Plantation 13 fronks there, and then you've got Stiletsi all standing in a line, you know, facing towards the sunsets to face the challenges and work together and all this kind of thing, so... Um, uh, that would, uh, I mean, that would presume to imply that sooner or later, these 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 ten kids with these five mechs are going to come to some kind of understanding and mutual respect to work together and, to accomplish. No, the task. I totally agree. I I think that's definitely going to happen. I, I never for I never once thought that they would be split up. Um, I'm pretty sure they're going to be a team. They're all major characters. They're all, you know, we've got the two main characters but they're all pretty equal in their importance um underneath them um underneath you know hero and zero two and the rest of them are kind of like the secondary main characters they're all equal in importance um i do think they're going to be a team and i think maybe they'll go out you're right they'll go out to the nines um, but i think they're all going to go to the front together the front lines together Mm -hmm. um as one unit and that the series is going to be about them as a unit yeah so I mean I guess that's that's just where it's coming to my mind that this might be sort of the beginning of of, of zero two's acknowledgement of of the other you know parasites in this group. You know maybe you're right maybe you're right they did mention earlier in the episode there was a scene on the elevator with um, zero two and then the two the two adults and um, they're like and you know Hachi. right and they were and they were saying something along the lines of just. You know, just because you are so powerful doesn't mean you shouldn't be concerned about your fellow parasites and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, she obviously didn't fully understand that. She was like, well, why should I care about them? They're they're weak. bugs to me. Right, they're weak. They'll only hold me back. Um, but we see in this fight that could Stiletsi have taken care of that Fronx by itself? Probably. Probably. Yeah, probably. But the additional assistance of the other, the other, you know, parasites certainly didn't hurt. Um, right, right. Still, there's a there's a clear, considerable difference in strength. Oh yes, and there's Huge. also an, an obvious antagonism that is being set up between Ichigo and Zero Two. So that this still could very much go either way. That that smirk that we spent the last like five minutes obsessing over right right this is what trigger does to us yeah they're well they're good about that they're pretty good about that so yeah next week episode four hopefully we'll find out more hopefully we'll be able to resolve whether that was a smirk or a smile (laughs) the big the big debate the big question yes indeed question of the week smirk or smile smirk or smile Maybe that should be the new name. Or at least the name of this episode. Right, Smirk or Smile. <laughs> I like it. I like it too. Alright. I th- I don't know. Is that it? You think that's it? Um, I mean, that's that's everything. I've, I, the only other thing I've got written down here is um, is 
I guess, um, how genuine is Nana's concern for the parasite she's in charge of? You know, that's the woman who, um, who's like standing all stoically in the operations room watching the right. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know. To me, it feels a little weird that you've got, you've got that scene early on where she's you know admonishing Zero Two, saying, "Oh, you didn't have to do that. You could have you could have killed one of my, one of my one of my pilots." Um, while at the same time being adamant that Stiletsia not be allowed to help them, despite the fact that it's pretty clear, at least heavily implied, and certainly is 100% clear in the second episode, that without Stiletsia's in, uh, in, uh, involvement, they're all dead. Right. I've been really questioning this myself, actually since the very first episode, because she was initially presented as, you know, their teacher their sensei if you will um and i kind of got a like an older sister kind of vibe out of her but i'm actually i'm not so sure now i think she might be pretty disconnected in regards to her concern for these for the for the for the kids um i think she's very much kind of a member of the administration maybe she's more um affectionate towards them than others but not that much yeah ultimately to her her only concern is are they doing their job are they able to do their job if they get killed in the field well whatever but right um yeah i'm not she did uh she did try to stop hero pretty significantly there was some definite concern on her face um when he ran after zero two but was it concerned because he was worried she was worried about him or was it concern um, because, you know, it's disobeying an order? Right. She allowed Mitsuru to pilot the Franks with Zero Two. Clearly knowing the though, potential for serious damage right. to him. Serious, serious danger, and she just let it happen. Um, and she hasn't really commented on it. She hasn't necessarily shown significant amounts of compassion towards them. Right, I mean, Pro- I, more I, than I, anyone I, else, sure. Zero two, she doesn't actually seem that broken up about it. Right. I mean, there's, there's. She's she, certainly given more compassion towards them than anyone else, but not but it's, by it's much. It's also worth noting that at least in this episode, there's no indication that she went to go visit him in the hospital. Right. Right. So, I don't know. I, I don't know yet. I don't think so, though. I don't think she really cares about them. Um. Yeah. I mean. Uh, I'm I'm still trying to get a read on her. We ha- we I mean it's only three episodes in. We haven't really seen that much of her, so who who knows? But I I'm inclined to agree with you up up to this point at least. I um I'm just out of curiosity. I'm taking a look at the key visual. Um, the, basically a poster, um, the main poster for this series, and she's nowhere to be found. Oh, she's not in the key visual. That's interesting. Nope, not at all. Um, it's just the it's just the kids. And there's the the Skrilletia mecha in the background. Hmm. So yeah, so continues our deep dive into an anime for a season. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so I think we've uh, we've blathered on for long enough. Yeah, certainly. I think we've been talking about this episode of Darling and the Franks for about half an hour. Yeah, a, l- a little more than <laughs> almost forty minutes. I think if I'm if I'm watching the time right. Twice um, as long as the episode itself. Yeah, seriously. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, I hope those of you who, who are listening out there, um, 
enjoyed us again make idiots out, out of ourselves as we tried to figure this stuff out um we you know love for you to you know share the uh the podcast with your friends anyone who you think you might might find this interesting um and like i said if any of you out there have ideas for a new name um post a comment on our soundcloud um yeah please uh, do say i don't think we stated our names in the beginning oh we didn't so, so let's sign out that way <laughs> well this is john database lanius this has been lucas ryu jordan and uh hope you all have a have a good night see you later <laughs>